Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Well, good evening, Little Masters, and welcome to episode 226 of the Prancing Pony podcast, where, well, we can't do anything without a rope. And to think I'd clean forgotten it. <laughs> well, folks, go ahead and pull up a bench in the common room. I'm Sean Marchese, the Lord of the Mark, and I'm here with the Man of the West, who was never nought but a ninny hammer, Alan Sisto. Uh, I'm still trying to work that out, see if it's a compliment or an insult, Sean. Is there a double negative in there? I don't it's, know. It's not the first one. No. (laughs) (laughs) Folks, today we are going to continue Chapter 1, The Taming of Smeagol. And while we are still absent one Smeagol, we will be joining Frodo and Sam in their attempt, successful, to escape the Emin Muil. Are you trying to tell yourself you've got some rope in your pocket? Well, I said we can't do anything without it. That's right. At least not anything interesting. No. (laughs) We'll leave that there. And for those of you joining us for the first time, welcome. Here at the Prancing Pony Podcast, we are reading and talking our way through Tolkien's stories of Middle-earth a few pages at a time. That's right. We dive into the details, point out connections to other writings, talk about our favorite themes. But we also make sure we have a whole lot of fun along the way. And it's not that hard. No. So we're glad you've joined us. (laughs) And we know you're going to be glad you joined as well. But before we get into the chapter, it's time for this season's first visit to The North Wing. Well, today we're bringing you another new installment of The North Wing. Now, Barlam and Butterbur had a room or two in The North Wing at the Prancing Pony Inn, made special for hobbits. Well, this is our place made special for some of our listeners, to give us a chance to get to know them. Now, rooms at The North Wing are a little hard to come by these days, so only our patrons at the Bombadil's Bequest and Kyrdan's Contribution tiers are eligible. So if you'd like to be one of the next patrons to join us, be sure to check out patreon.com slash prancingponypod. Absolutely, please do. We've got a little bit of a waiting list for the North Wing right now, but we will get to all of them soon, and we will make room for more if necessary. All right, then. Why don't we go ahead and welcome tonight's guest to the North Wing, B. Well, hello there. Well, hello, B. How are you tonight? Hello, B. Welcome. Well, I'm doing well. How are all of you? Both of you? I can't talk. <laughs> well, both are still all. We're, we're good. We're, that's we're right. Good. We're doing well. We're doing well. Really happy to have you on the show. At this point, we're still getting ready for our moot, huh? Yeah, that's right. I'm sure folks won't hear this for a few months, but as we speak, we're just a week away. So This is coming to you from the distant past of May the 4th. May the 4th be with you. you. That's right. May the 4th be with you. Yes. Or is it, and also with you. I'm not really sure what the And also with you. I think so. I think it's probably, yeah. yeah, That works. (laughs) Both. Both is good. (laughs) 
<laughs> but we digress. B, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Where you're from? What do you do? What do your loved ones think of all this Tolkien stuff you're so into? Do they think you're a big nerd? Do they like it too? That sort of thing. I'm from California and I am a dancer, well, a dance student. Uh huh. And I dance about 22 hours a week, actually, which wow. is why I'm wow. never existing on Discord. <laughs> That's impressive. That is. I have a couple friends that really like Tolkien, and my parents are like, okay, Tolkien is cool. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just about it. <laughs> well, good. That's good. Yeah. So the question we ask everyone, and you know this is coming, everybody who ever comes to the Prancing Pony, when and how did you first discover Tolkien's works? What was your experience like? And what is it that keeps you coming back? I was about seven years old. And my mom decided to check out the audiobook of The Hobbit, the dramatic reading, from the library. And we listened to it in the car. We still listen to a whole bunch of stuff in the car. Yeah. And I really liked it. And I listened to it on repeat on a website now. And then a while later, I decided to try one of these other things. But unfortunately... I had no idea that it was a trilogy then. So I was just like, huh, what's this thing called the Two Towers? <laughs> oh, no. So you started right in the middle, huh? Yeah. And I was just like, why are they picking up in the middle? And then I just stopped because I had no idea what was going on. Fair. And then quite a while later, we tried to check out the dramatic reading and read along with it in our oh, book yeah. set. Except it was the dramatic reading where it was only the dialogue. So it's like, wait, oh. we've skipped a page and a half. Oh, goodness. Oh. It only had it, the mm -hmm. conversations and didn't have the text. Yeah, and I'm glad we didn't finish this one because the landscape descriptions are my favorite. And mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I yeah. mean, yeah. what's Tolkien without the landscape descriptions? <laughs> That's a fair point. Yeah. So finally, we got around to it. I wanted to watch the movies, and my parents told me I couldn't watch the movies until I'd read the books. So I actually buckled down and read the books, and now... Me being the insane, obsessed person that I am, I listen to The Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings on repeat. <laughs> Get through the entire series about once a month. Once a month? Wow. My goodness. Wow. That That's is, amazing. Uh, that, that is intense. <laughs> you've probably passed us up at this point in terms of how many times you've been through the book. <laughs> once a month? My goodness. That's amazing. <laughs> that really is. But kudos to your parents for having you read the books before you could see the films. <laughs> That is good parenting. I did yeah. let my kids watch the movies first only because I, I just couldn't wait to share the yeah share the books with them. And I mean, I, I still can't wait to share the books with them, but now at least they know the story and they ask me questions at the dinner table, which is kind of cool. So That is pretty cool. Well, B, why don't you tell us what your favorite book in the Legendarium is and why? And then if you have a favorite non-Legendarium work by Tolkien, if you have one, you can tell us what that is too. Well, I know it's not supposed to be separate ones, but I have to say The Return of the King is the best of the three, simply because, not for the actual reasons that most people have, but the Frodo and Sam moments in the last one, just especially mm. the Tower of Kirithungal, I am obsessed mm, with that chapter. Yeah. yeah. And for non-legendarium, I really like um, Tales of the Perilous Realm because fairy and... Yeah. Actually, as well, I'm doing my ninth grade poetry unit this year. Okay. And I'm using Mythopoeia for one of them. Oh, very cool. Wow. 
That's great. Probably head and shoulders above most of the rest of the class. I don't I'm know. doing Beowulf actually too. So wow, wow, Beowulf that's awesome. And Mythopoeia in a ninth grade poetry class. Good that job. That is so cool. <laughs> that rocks. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, do you have a, a favorite memory of a Tolkien related activity? Maybe. You know, you mentioned listening to the audiobooks, uh, maybe sharing those with family or, or the movies with friends. What's your favorite memory of a Tolkien activity? It's not a specific activity, really. It's a day. It was my Tolkien day that I realized that this was my area. Uh-huh. I was at a dance intensive and I met my now best friend and I'd done a Gollum impression about a muffin. <laughs> and okay. um, I was just like, wait you know Tolkien? And then she was just like, yes, I know Tolkien. And then when I came home that day, I scrolled through Pandora. I was like, huh, I wonder if they have Tolkien podcasts. Oh, wow. And then I was like, what's this thing called the Prancing Pony? This looks interesting. Oh. (laughs) I cannot believe that we are the answer to to that question. That is, we're touched. That warms my heart. Thank you, B. That's amazing. Same here. That really is. That is great. I also love that moment when you discover your friend is also into what you're into. That is a great story, isn't it? Isn't that cool? That's such a great moment in any friendship. And you're Mm -hmm. just like, really? You love this amazing thing, too? Right. This thing that other people would probably tease me about. Right. Actually, that entire week, uh, I and she and one of my friends, that was not grammatically correct, but I don't care. That's all right. Uh, (laughs) We played um, uh, Hunt for the Ring during Uh our break where two of us would run around one would be kind of weak one would be defending the other and then one would be chasing them while doing crazy shrieking and so we just (laughs) run around this entire complex and up and down the elevator um and it was me the fast one and my super tall friend Mm -hmm. and so the person that was chasing was was just done (laughs) oh that is hilarious that is brilliant stuff right there that's awesome i hope to hear my kids doing that someday That'd be fun. Except if they're shrieking maybe further down the street. Maybe, yeah. Maybe when they're at school or something Uh on the playground when I don't have to hear the shrieking. They can leave the shrieking elsewhere, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, now it's time for our lightning round. You knew this was coming. We're looking for quick questions and answers. Well, we'll give you quick questions and we're looking for quick answers. So who's your favorite character in The Lord of the Rings? Uh, Samwise Gamgee. Fair. Who's your favorite elf from the first age? I'm about to get kicked off, but Feanor, because relatable. (laughs) Relatable, because I have no impulse control. <laughs> That's hilarious. I, I love how with the lightning answers, with Feanor, you have to have an explanation. There is no yeah. way to have Feanor as the lightning answer without explanation. Yeah, exactly. No, that's a solid answer. Yeah, I can yeah, see identifiable. that. Identifiable, I mean, sure, of course. He is identifiable. He's Absolutely. I think even Tolkien saw a bit of himself in Feanor. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? Right. A tremendous creator who sometimes struggles with pride and all these other things, of course. Right. I mean- I sometimes am those things, except for the tremendous creator part. I don't know. About well, that, and, the, but... and the burning of ships. Yeah. You both are the tremendous creators here. The creators of the finest Tolkien podcast. Wow. Oh, wow. 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 Well, thank you. I wasn't fishing for that. but thank No. You. no. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Lightning round. Do you have a favorite poem or song in the Legendarium? Uh, Sam's song in the Tower of Kirithungal. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That yeah. is a moment, isn't it? Okay, B, here's a good one for you. One does not simply walk into Mordor, but if you could, who would you rather have at your side, Tom Bombadil or Treebeard? I'm going to go with Tom Bombadil on this one because 
you need some sort of lightness and cheer in there, plus ah, someone sure. who can run away fast. <laughs> That's a good answer. I would have thought Treebeard was the obvious answer because, you know, he can wreck stuff. He can, but... I mean, you know, look, we know that Glorfindel and a whole host of elves couldn't take Mordor no. by force. So what good is Treebeard going to do? Yeah. But Bombadil's lighthearted magic. I think that's the objectively correct answer. Yeah. I think so. All right, B. Who's your favorite author or what's your favorite book other than Tolkien? This is a really difficult one because I have so many. Okay. I'm going to have to go with the Chronicles of Narnia. Great answer. I like that one. Solid answer. Well, those were some great answers, B. Thank you so much for joining us. We have really enjoyed having you here in the North Wing even with those incredible compliments that we don't know what to do with. <laughs> Thank you for that. Thank you so much. Yes. But I do think it's time for us all to head back to the common room to join the rest of the listeners. Thank you so much again. And we'll see you back, hopefully, at our next questions after nightfall, if not sooner. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye. <laughs> and now we return you to the podcast in progress. Well, that was a lot of fun as always. Always. Yeah. Can't wait for more of those this year. Can't wait. It continues to be one of my favorite parts of the show. I know we hear from a lot of listeners that they love it too. It's just great to spend time with the community yeah, and get to yeah. have people get to know each other. You know, we, we talk to each other on social media so much because we have such a great community around this podcast. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's just great to hear people's voices. I love it. It is neat. Agreed. But now I think we can go ahead and pick up again with our literal cliffhanger from last yeah. time as Frodo heard that wailing cry. And I guess I've got the first reading here, don't I? I believe you do. So right after Sam calls out for his master. He heard no answer. He found he was shaking all over, but he gathered his breath, and once again he shouted, Master! The wind seemed to blow his voice back into his throat. But as it passed, roaring up the gully and away over the hills, a faint, answering cry came to his ears. All right, all right, I'm here, but I can't see. Frodo was calling with a weak voice. He was not actually very far away. He had slid and not fallen, and had come up with a jolt to his feet on a wider ledge not many yards lower down. Fortunately, the rock face at this point leaned well back and the wind had pressed him against the cliff, so that he had not toppled over. He steadied himself a little, laying his face against the cold stone, feeling his heart pounding. But either the darkness had grown complete, or else his eyes had lost their sight. All was black about him. He wondered if he had been struck blind. That's a terrifying thought. Yeah. You ever had that when you wake up in the morning and like you, you just, your eyes haven't quite started working yet? Yeah. The one thing that comes to my mind is when my eyes have literally been stuck together as a result of uh, getting conjunctivitis from one of my kids. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Like, oh, this is not good. And you know, it's going to hurt, but yeah. Yeah. I've had a couple of times like that where I wake up and my, my eyes just don't work yet. And yeah. it's a little scary for, for yeah. like a second, really. I mean, yeah, I, I yeah. can't imagine I mean, what Frodo's going through here. Yeah, no, where it's going on for a good bit. But yeah, there's there have been times when yeah. just something's going on and just suddenly like my eyes, like sometimes just early in the morning, like you open your eyes and like, wait, I can't see yet. And you just freak no. out for a moment. Just for a brief but, moment. But it's just a moment. Sorry, Sean, I've never, I've never drank that hard. <laughs> well... You read between the lines. There. That's what I, I should have that. said is, no, I've never had anything like that happen, Sean. What did you drink to get there, man? <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, so going back yep. to the beginning of the passage here. <laughs> now, well, now people are going to get the wrong idea. Come on. No, Sean. it's not just when I'm blackout drunk. <laughs> As I haven't been for a very but long time. But it is time. that. Those days are, those days are long past. But uh, I'm pleased to hear but that. But no. 
they have there have been times when just like well, my yeah. brain just hasn't woken up yet and I just can't. Yeah, I can't yeah, that's see. that's what I understand. I mean, because obviously I've never been blackout drunk, so or drunk. <laughs> no, period. About, even when I'm not blackout drunk. Even Let's when I'm not, on. I love that line, by the way, even when I'm not blackout drunk, <laughs> that's, that, that might be the title Wisdom of this from episode. the Lord of the Mark, even when I'm not blackout drunk. <laughs> oh man, this season's off to a great start. I think we have our next line of t-shirts for the PPP store. Oh, that's brilliant. Even, even when, when I'm not when blackout, I'm not blackout drunk, drunk. That's the Lord great. Of the Mark. <laughs> we can't All do right. anything fun without ropes. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> you know, I mean, we're going to get ourselves in trouble, man. All right. We are. We are. We are a terrible influence on everyone out there. I'm sorry. Please focus on the text, folks. Thank you. Speaking of the text, we'll go back to the beginning of the passage you just read. So Sam, here's Frodo, and he crawls to the edge. But I wanted to note, it was with an effort. Yeah. That's the part you didn't read. Sam heard him and crawled with an effort to the edge. I think with an effort, everything is harder now after the cry of the Nazgul. I mean, it, it's changed everything for a brief moment. Yeah. And you know, we, we've talked about, even last time we talked about how the weapon of the Nazgul is fear mm-hmm. and the effect of fear and despair that hearing this cry has on people oh, who yeah. hear it. And, yeah. and you see here with Sam's reaction that it is a very literal kind of sapping of the will, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It is hard for him to do anything. He is almost paralyzed with fear and just lacks the will to do much of anything. And we'll see some of that. You know, we're going to talk about the blindness and one of the things that happens is a blind fear, but we'll get to that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we will. But he's calling for Frodo and there's no answer to his calls at first. Oh man, that's got to be scary. This has got to be scary. And partly this is because the wind is so strong that his voice is just completely lost and he's literally just shouting into the wind. What a way to describe that, by the way. Tolkien writes, the wind seemed to blow his voice back into his throat. That is pretty amazing. Yeah. Really a a powerful, visceral sort of way to describe that. I mean, we've all experienced that in a strong wind and you realize I can't even hear my own voice. Can't even hear my own voice. And so it just feels like it's dying right there in your mouth and your throat. Yeah. Yeah. But boy, that's an intense thought. And you know, spare a thought for poor Sam, who for a moment, a brief moment must think, he is now all alone. Oh, he thinks Frodo's fallen this to his far death. from the Shire. And this is yeah, and wow, yeah, he yeah. has no idea how to go on. No, if he can go on, he has no idea how to go back. It's just a few seconds, but it's got to be a few terrifying seconds. Absolutely, yeah. That's a really, really good observation. I, I hadn't really picked up on that before, and I'm thinking about how much it echoes. A similar moment at the very end of the book. Doesn't yeah, that's it? right. That's exactly what I was thinking. It foreshadows that whole thing. Yeah. But yeah, you look at that second sentence that you read. He found he was shaking all over, but he gathered his breath. Yeah. He was really having a hard time holding it together at this point. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I want to do? I want to remember this when we get to this moment, mm-hmm. that moment rather, in the choices yeah. of Master Samwise. Because I want to see how has Sam grown in between mm. this moment and that moment later on. Both times when he thinks that he's alone, must be thinking he has to go on alone. And yeah. even though it only lasts for a few seconds, mercifully here. Thankfully, but just yeah. what's, what's the difference in reaction and how much mm-hmm. has Sam grown as a character? I think that'll be a fun discussion. That will be an interesting look back, won't it? Yeah. Someday at the end of this season. <laughs> <laughs> Someday far, far away uh, in yeah. June of next year. In the meantime, though, fortunately, Frodo does call back weekly, yes. right? But he's intact, or if he's not, he's at least able to respond, so he's intact enough. Uh, <laughs> but, but he can't see, and, and I promise you, we will get back to that. 
we will certainly get back to that. But for now, let's just talk about the fact that he hadn't fallen. He had just right. slid down a few yards, which thank goodness for that. And he'd landed on a wider ledge where, you know, basically the face of the cliff leans back. So he's got a little bit more space here. Yeah, that's nice. And now that gives us a chance to get a better look, no pun intended, at his blindness. <laughs> that's Sorry. an interesting choice of phrase. But a yes. better look at his blindness. Um, yeah. A better look at his blindness. So yeah, basically from his perspective, all is black. Yeah. He is in complete and total darkness and he he really does wonder if he's lost his sight. That's a pretty intense kind of darkness. I mean, I think it's one thing yeah. to feel like something's wrong with my eyes. Everything is a blur. Everything is kind of dark. But to mm. have a complete and total darkness? Yeah. I don't that's never happened to me. That's true. That that has never happened to me. Not even when I'm blackout drunk. <laughs> Not even when you're <laughs> I know we have listeners, of course, who are visually impaired and who have sure. perhaps had their entire lifetime spent in complete and yeah. total darkness. I can't comprehend that. Yeah. And I would imagine that for somebody who's lived with sight their entire life, as Frodo has, that this would be a gut-wrenchingly terrifying moment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm sure. I can't even imagine. And you're absolutely no. right. I know that there are people that we know who have experienced yeah. this. And yeah. yeah. I, I, people who've been on our show with us. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But here he, he can still hear. He can hear yes. Sam. Yeah, yeah. But he tells Sam that he can't return because he can't see. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, he says he can't move yet, but I think that's tied simply to his inability to see. Yeah, I think so. He says, I can't, I can't see. Yeah. I can't find any hold. I can't right. move yet. So it's not literally, I can't move. It's, it's just not, I, I literally can't move. It's that I'm not going to move while I can't see what I'm doing. Right. 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 And of course we're getting to a part that I didn't actually read, but. Oh yeah, that's true. Sorry about that folks. Yeah. It's not that he's paralyzed as well as blinded. He's just. No. The fact that he's blind and he's, he would have to climb up. Yeah. Means yeah, that yeah. He can't actually, he can't do anything right now. So there's no point in trying to even move at this point. Stay safe. You know, right. Stay where you exactly. are. Don't move. Well, let's go ahead and talk about this blindness for a bit. Is this a power of the Nazgul? I think we all know where we're going to land on that. But let's start by going back just one chapter, even though it's several months ago, to the Palantir and the arrival of the Nazgul that prompted Gandalf and Pippin to start their road trip before they even bought snacks. At that moment, a shadow fell over them. The bright moonlight seemed to be suddenly cut off. Several of the riders cried out and crouched, holding their arms above their heads as if to ward off a blow from above. A blind fear and a deadly cold fell on them. Cowering, they looked up. A vast winged shape passed over the moon like a black cloud. It wheeled and went north, flying at a speed greater than any wind of Middle-earth. The stars fainted before it. It was gone. Okay, so we've got blind fear in that passage. Yeah, I know. It's a little bit of a stretch, but I wanted to bring that in so that we can kind of see the progression. Yeah. Yeah. No, and it's fair. And it's it's a good start, even though it's not actual blindness. Right. But let's take a look a little bit later after Frodo, Sam, and the fellow who's soon going to be guiding them mm -hmm. arrive at Minas Morgul. Okay. Now, the power of the Witch King is certainly present there. Oh, yeah. And we yeah. read there, Frodo felt his senses reeling and his mind darkening. Okay. That's something. Yeah. And then just a moment later, Frodo passed his hand over his brow and wrenched his eyes away from the city on the hill. The luminous tower fascinated him, and he fought the desire that was on him to run up the gleaming road towards its gate. At last, with an effort, he turned back, and as he did so, he felt the ring resisting him, dragging at the chain about his neck, and his eyes too, as he looked away, seemed for the moment to have been blinded. The darkness before him was impenetrable. 
Okay. So that's a lot closer to what we're talking about here. That does seem more like an actual mm -hmm. literal physical blindness. Yeah. At least for yeah. the moment. Exactly. It is momentary perhaps, and it certainly is created. It, it's not a physiological thing. Right. It is a mental effect, a power of, right. of the Nazgul, of, in this case, the Witch King. A momentary lapse of vision. My second favorite Pink Floyd album. I was going to say, wow, brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> Momentary lapse. All right. Well, then, of course, we get something that's, I think, even more clear. It's the Battle of the Pelennor Fields. And I'm going to read this because I know when we get there, I'm going to have a hard time getting to read any of this. You're not getting anywhere near this passage later. So, yeah, do it now. That's what I thought. Yeah, I, I figured. So this is Mary's <laughs> moment after being thrown by Winfola. I'm, enjoy it while I can read it, folks, because I won't be reading this. <laughs> couple of seasons from now. Mary crawled on all fours like a dazed beast, and such a horror was on him that he was blind and sick. So there he was blind and sick. And yep. what's interesting is then he only hears that famous confrontation between the Witch King and Eowyn, nay, Durnhelm. And I don't know that I'd ever noticed that before. He didn't see any of it. He heard it. That's a good point. I don't know that I've ever even noticed that before. As many times as I have yeah. Read that part with, you know, bated breath. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. He doesn't yeah. see it, does he? No. And then we get this. Then out of the blackness in his mind, he thought he heard Dernhelm speaking. And only after the famous line, you don't look upon a woman. Be gone, foul Dwemer Lake, Lord of Carrion, leave the dead in peace, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah. That's actually, that's the part where he... he... <laughs> <You're just laughs> Does so he just saw it off, Sean. <laughs> that's the one where he's hearing it only and not seeing. It's right. when she says... That, you know, but you look upon no man oh, or... yeah. You look upon a woman, Eamon's daughter, and you stand yes. between me and my lord and kin. Yeah. That's the one. That's the one. And, you know, get thee gone if right. uh, if you be mortal because, you know... Be I'm gone not... if thou be not deathless for living yes. or dark undead. I will smite thee if you touch him. Freaking Sean, man. <laughs> Something like that. I don't know. Something like that. The whole point <laughs> I'm is... I'm not saying I know it verbatim, but... That's the famous line at which point... We see the winged creature screamed at her, but the ringwraith made no answer and was silent as if in sudden doubt. Very amazement for a moment conquered Mary's fear. He opened his eyes and the blackness was lifted from them. So until then, from the time he gets thrown by Winfola, until that moment when the ringwraith suffered the doubt after Eowyn's incredibly powerful comment that you just braggingly, boastingly showed off your... <laughs> not Never. not perfect, but I think I was very close. close. But yeah. yeah, between being thrown and that moment, Mary couldn't see because of the Witch King. That's amazing. That yeah. I, and I I don't think I'd ever picked up on the fact that he doesn't see have. any of that no. because that scene is so vivid for us. It is, we isn't see it? it? So well, yeah, yeah. But that whole time he was yeah. blind and sick, and only after that, yeah, was the blackness lifted from them. And I suspect it's because the Ringwraith was in sudden doubt. He all of a sudden had to focus his magia yeah. a lot more tightly. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait for that next oh, season. Isn't that going to be fun? <laughs> it is. <laughs> if I get a word in edgewise, yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you do a little talking. Yeah, we'll talk. I just don't get to read. Well, you'll read some of it. I can't read the whole chapter. You know? <laughs> we should try the, um, what was it on, uh, on whose line is it anyway, where sometimes they would do the thing where they'd go every other word? Oh. <laughs> they would improvise, <laughs> yeah, but they'd go yeah, every other yeah. word. That would yeah. That would be interesting. Anyway. That would be interesting and terrible. <laughs> and it terrible, would be an interesting yeah. experiment. Unless you were blackout drunk. All right. <laughs> and we've come full circle. We have. So, yeah. I mean, based on that, 
very yeah. clear example. And the example of Frodo at Minas Morgul, yeah. it does look like blindness is a possible side effect of a close encounter with a Nazgul. Mm-hmm. And I guess that really shouldn't come as a total surprise because no. darkness is kind of their element, isn't it? It's kind of where they're strongest. Yeah, we learned that all the way back in book one. That's right. So yeah. I guess being able to impose darkness on others by blinding them would actually come in kind of handy. Yeah, it? that's true. If you're strongest in darkness, you want the ability to bring that darkness with you. Yeah. 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 Wow. But yeah, I don't think I really, until I did the research for this, knew that Mary was blind for that entire period no, of time. Not until amazing. we started talking about it. Nope. Nope. Well, I'm going to go ahead and pick up right after that. So he's... Frodo, that is, has said to Sam that I can't come back yet because I can't see and I can't move yet, meaning I'm not going to move while I can't see because that's just stupid because I'm on the edge of a cliff, not I'm paralyzed. Yeah. Right. All right. What can I do, Mr. Frodo? What can I do? Shouted Sam, leaning out dangerously far. Why could not his master see? It was dim, certainly, but not as dark as all that. He could see Frodo below him. A gray, forlorn figure splayed against the cliff, but he was far out of the reach of any helping hand. There was another crack of thunder, and then the rain came. In a blinding sheet, mingled with hail, it drove against the cliff, bitter cold. "'I'm coming down to you!' shouted Sam, though how he hoped to help in that way he could not have said. "'No, no, wait!' Frodo called back more strongly now. "'I shall be better soon. I—' I feel better already. Wait, you can't do anything without a rope. Rope, cried Sam, talking wildly to himself in his excitement and relief. Well, if I don't deserve to be hung on the end of one as a warning to numb skulls, you're not but a ninnyhammer, Sam Gamgee. That's what the gaffer said to me often enough, it being a word of his. Rope. <laughs> rope. Rope. Rope is a word of the gaffers? No, I think ninnyhammer is the word, but we'll get to that. I'm thinking ninnyhammer is the yeah. gaffer's word. Ninnyhammer's the word, it's the word, it's the word that you heard. Anyway, <laughs> doesn't fit. Not at all. Rope no. is the word fits pretty well. It does, I know. That's a very different musical than the original. <laughs> <laughs> rope is the word, it's the word that you Oh, man. Oh, yeah. It's going to turn Grease Lightning into a whole it's, other song. It's not John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John, folks. No, it's that. not. I promise. That's for sure. All right. All right. Oh, well, my. Before we so, get ourselves in trouble, let's get back to that passage. We, we're that we're passage. really, really trying to get ourselves in trouble tonight. I think we are. <laughs> Is it because we're trying to set the tone for season six? I don't know. I hope not. Maybe so. Maybe so. It's a darker season. It's more of a prancing pony after hours season. It kind of, yeah, maybe. Maybe we're just trying to lighten it up a little bit because- this is a really it's dark It's going to get book, pretty folks. brutal. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, so Sam, bless him, is trying to figure <laughs> out how he can help. <laughs> bless you know? him. I love Sam. He literally asks Frodo, what can he do? And he wonders why Frodo can't see. I mean, after all, it's not that dark. Sam can see Frodo just fine. Yeah. I think that's just a reminder that this is a supernatural blindness caused by mm -hmm. the Nazgul. But then that really begs the second question. Why only Frodo? I think we have to assume that it has something to do with the ring. Now, yeah. obviously, not that one needs the ring to be vulnerable to this, because we obviously see it with Mary and Eowyn mm -hmm. later. Well, with Mary, rather. But I think at this point, it must be because of the ring, because, you know, the Nazgul's energy or whatever yeah. is focused on, on Frodo because he holds the ring. Maybe he's more susceptible to it That's the when only it's thing not directed, you know? Yeah, it's it, exactly. It's not directed. If the Ringwraith mm -hmm. knew he was there, the Ringwraith would be there. 
I mean, right. we, we know that 100%. Right. But the ring would, I would think, make Frodo more susceptible to the powers of the Nazgul. To the sort of ambient effect. And, and, you know, actually, now that I say it, not just the ring, I wonder if the Morgul wound. I mean, yeah, the blade is gone, right? Oh, well, yeah, of but course. I wonder if that the wound itself makes him a little more susceptible. Actually, that probably makes more sense than the ring, It actually honestly. does, doesn't it? Yeah, I know we're kind of just spitballing it there, but I think maybe you're right. That does make even more sense than the ring. Yeah, probably so. Yeah, I like that idea. Either way, he's certainly much more susceptible. Also, though, in fairness, it's probably easier for Sam to look down in a partial light situation than Frodo to look up. Frodo's looking up, and so he sees the Nazgul flying Into the overhead. storm. Well, by this point, the Nazgul's probably flown over, but he's looking up into the darker sky with the rain mm, coming okay. down and all of that. So maybe okay. it's harder for him to see. I don't know. I don't know. That could be. That could be something. I, I kind of like the idea that it's the ring and or the Morgul. Oh, I think, yeah. I, I think it's, we still know it's a supernatural blindness of some kind because he had yeah. complete and total darkness. Right. To the point where he wondered if he'd been struck blind. That's far more dark. And I think right. what we're seeing here is that Sam is not a victim of right. that. Right, right. And, and we're, we're being told there's a reason why. We just aren't necessarily told what that is. Exactly what the reason is. Because yeah. it's Tolkien. He's not going to. Right. He's not going to give everything away. Certainly not going to tell us what Aragorn's tax policy is. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> so, you know, one thing we do find out real quickly, though, is that Frodo, though he's safe and not, certainly not too far down, he hasn't like fallen and broken his legs or anything. He is right. well far out of the reach of a hand. So we sure. know that we can't do anything that way, which is why we'll find out rope would be handy. Reach. <laughs> he can't just, you know, stretch on down and yeah. Slow motion and put his hand up and. And do that real tight shot of the hands clasping yeah. together. Yeah. So now we get more lightning and thunder now complete with heavy rain and hail. Boy, this is really mm, a fun that's situation. That's not good. That is no. not fun. Mm -mm. And Sam, again, <laughs> gotta love him. Yeah. He decides he's going to come down to help, even though he has no idea what he's going to do. Like no clue. Bless his heart. I, I, I know, mean, I know. Yeah. I love Sam. And Frodo wisely says, wait, yeah, yeah, yeah. wait, you, you know, you can't, first of all, I'm already feeling better. Yeah. And and that makes sense because the Nazgul has flown over, as you said. The Nazgul's gone now. I feel better. <laughs> I feel happy. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. He is feeling better. Oh, Master, better. you'll be stone dead in a moment. That's right. <laughs> Could you just take care of this one for me? Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, he is feeling better. Of course, that makes sense. The Nazgul's gone, like you said. Yeah. Uh, and, and now he's just dealing with the after effects. But he also points out, look, I am out of reach. You can't do anything without rope. That's the important thing. Yeah, that really, really is. You, you're not going to be able to do anything coming down. Coming down isn't going to help. It just means we're both stuck here. Right. So, you know, you've got to have rope. And of course, this rings a bell for Sam, who then chastises himself strongly. <laughs> chastises himself. It's a, <laughs> it's a gentle way of putting it. it. Is. I mean, yeah. he says, I should be hung on the end of a rope. <laughs> Right, which is a little bit of, uh, shall we say, overkill. It's a little intense. Yeah. <laughs> that's just Sam and his kind of dramatic way of speaking. Oh, it? he speaks in hyperbole all the time. He yeah. totally does, yeah. And then we get his, you know, series of insults as a warning to numb skulls. I think most of us know what a numb skull is, right? Sure. The OED tells us that's a dull-witted or stupid person. But I have to say the phrase, nout but a ninny hammer. Yeah, that could use a little explanation. I, I'm not stupid. The context makes it pretty clear. But I think it's worth doing a little word nerdery here, don't you? Yeah, I think so. And of course, we have some for you folks. So 
nout is a northern english word meaning nothing or not it's just mm. a, a dialectal pronunciation and spelling of the word not so nothing okay. but a you're nothing but a ninny hammer well ninny hammer means simpleton and while it dates back to the late 1500s it's i'm sure you know not in much use these days by the youth uh, you no, won't see a hashtag ninny hammer on Instagram. No, no. even Until now. Until now. We're making it a thing. We're bringing ninny hammer back, folks. Yeah, but it's going to be pictures of us, Sean. I'm not Probably sure I'm so. too keen on that. All right, go ahead. <laughs> That's going to be our next trending hashtag on Instagram. Picture of us with hashtag ninny hammers. No, but ninny hammers. Fortunately, it's not in much use these days, as you no. say. But Ring of Words tells us that it has a long history of use. Yeah. They say it was probably a current colloquialism down to the late 19th century. The last example in the OED before Tolkien's being from 1879. So even when Tolkien used this, nobody had used it for about 70 years. I love years. that. I love yeah. that Tolkien did that. Let me find yeah. words that nobody has used in my lifetime. Right, right. Yeah. That's true. Even before he was born. Yeah. Now, no one knows the full derivation, but they mm -hmm. say the first part is presumably ninny. Yeah. Which... Basically, itself means simpleton or fool, and likely comes from a, a misdivision of the word innocent. Yes, that's right. And then they say the hammer may have something to do with the phrase hammer-headed, meaning stupid. Yeah. Okay. I can buy that. That makes sense. Yeah. Apparently, this is a loving term that his father used all the time. <laughs> it kind of tells us a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. So I'm just, I just hope that somebody can pay yeah. Sam's therapy. Poor bills. Sam. Poor guy. I know. Poor Sam. I know. The gaffer comes from, you know, kind of the old school. Apparently, <laughs> That's you know. right. That's right. A lot of tough love. Tough love, you ninny hammer, you numbskull. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but getting to the, the part that you didn't read, you know, Frodo at this point is like, he's kind of had enough. He's, he's yeah. amused, but yeah, also nice annoyed. little monologue. Like, stop, stop chattering. <laughs> stop chattering. I love that line. Yeah. Stop chattering is great. And then he asks, okay, wait, are you trying to say that you actually have some rope? Like stuck because in your that pocket. That would be really yeah. helpful right now. That would be. And indeed, Sam does have some, and he had forgotten all about it until now. I love it. Whoops. And even then, he's just like, yeah, I have it. It's like, pack. yeah, I do. It's right here. The elves made it for me. And it's like, and Frodo's like, just okay, just, fine. Can you get to it already. Down? Yeah, exactly. Get <laughs> like, to it I already. I don't need to know where you bought it. I don't need to know that it was on sale at Home Depot. Just no, give it to me just already. Throw it down for crying out loud. Yeah. For a podcast about Tolkien, we've talked about socks a lot, but here's the thing. Look, when it comes to my socks, they really have to be comfy. And like we keep saying, Bomba socks are the most comfy socks I've ever worn. I couldn't agree more, but that's only one reason why we love them. The other is the good thing we're doing as Bomba's customers. Mm -hmm. See, for every Bombas item you buy, they donate an item to those experiencing homelessness. Now, you know, they started with socks after learning that they are the number one most requested item in homeless shelters. But... Then they started making underwear, and now shirts, too. And their socks, underwear, and t-shirts are super soft and built to last. They come with Bombas's 100% happiness guarantee. Either you're happy with your Bombas, or you get your money back. It's that simple. That's right. Now, fabric, fit, feel. See, we're perfect with alliteration, so this works really well. Everything they make feels good. I especially like the running socks. Truth is, I don't use them just for running. I use them for just about any exercise I do. Cycling, cardio, weights, whatever. They don't wear thin. They don't stretch out. They're just comfy and supportive the whole time. Well, lately, I've been loving the all-purpose performance ankle socks. Mm. Keep my feet dry and breathing freely on autumn evening walks with my family. And I don't know. I just love that little pop of color comes above my shoes there. So, yeah. 
And here's the best bit. Thanks to all of you who have bought Bombas, they have just donated their 50 millionth clothing item. That is 50 million brand new pairs of socks, underwear, and shirts given to people in need. There's so much more comfort to have and so much more to give with Bombas. So go get 20% off your first order at bombas.com slash PPP. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash PPP for 20% off your first order. Bombas.com slash PPP. Folks, before we get back to the discussion, we want to stay on this break to take a moment and make sure you know that when you finish listening to this episode, the talk continues all night long at the Prancing Pony podcast. That's right. Our wonderful and supportive listener community keeps the conversation going in all of our social media spaces, from our common room on Facebook to our Reddit community, Twitter, and more. Now on Facebook, just look for the Prancing Pony podcast and be sure to follow our page and join the group for some great discussions. And you can find us on Reddit at r slash prancingponypod. And we're also at prancingponypod on Twitter and Instagram. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get back into the chapter. Sean, if you could pick up right after Frodo tells Sam, basically, knock it off and give me some rope. All right. Quickly, Sam unslung his pack and rummaged in it. There, indeed, at the bottom was a coil of the silken gray rope made by the folk of Lorien. He cast an end to his master. The darkness seemed to lift from Frodo's eyes, or else his sight was returning. He could see the gray line as it came dangling down, and he thought it had a faint silver sheen. Now that he had some point in the darkness to fix his eyes on, he felt less giddy. Leaning his weight forward, he made the end fast round his waist, and then he grasped the line with both hands. Sam stepped back and braced his feet against a stump a yard or two from the edge. Half-hauled, half-scrambling, Frodo came up and threw himself on the ground. Thunder growled and rumbled in the distance, and the rain was still falling heavily. The hobbits crawled away back into the gully, but they did not find much shelter there. Rills of water began to run down. Soon, they grew to a spate that splashed and fumed on the stones and spouted out over the cliff like the gutters of a vast roof. I should have been half drowned down there or washed clean off, said Frodo. What a piece of luck you had that rope. Better luck if I'd thought of it sooner, said Sam. Maybe you remember them putting the ropes in the boats as we started off in the elvish country. I took a fancy to it. I stowed a coil in my pack. Years ago, it seems. It may be a help in many needs, he said. Haldir or one of those folk. And he spoke right. Yes, indeed he did. Yes, he did. It may be a help in many needs, but uh, we'll get to that. So Sam digs through his bag and he finds the rope that was given to him in Lorien, or as he calls it, the elvish country. <laughs> which is far better than the Elvis country. Yeah. In uh -huh. presumably Tennessee. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <clears throat> Thank you very much. So I want to take us back to that moment, though, in Farewell to Lorien in Book Two, and we read this. Three small gray boats had been made ready for the travelers, and in these the elves stowed their goods. And they added also coils of rope, three to each boat. Slender they looked, but strong silken to the touch, gray of hue, like the elven cloaks. What are these? asked Sam, handling one that lay upon the greensward. Ropes indeed, answered an elf from the boats. Never travel far without a rope, and one that is long and strong and light. Such are these. 
they may be a help in many needs. You don't need to tell me that, said Sam. I came without any and I've been worried ever since. But I was wondering what these were made of, knowing a bit about rope making. It's in the family, as you might say. They are made of hithline, said the elf. But there is no time now to instruct you in the art of their making. Had we known that this craft delighted you, we could have taught you much. I like. <laughs> Sorry, go. I think we laughed like, about it then. Like again, you never like, asked. I didn't know rope making was available. The activities director never told me that was on the list. Right. I mean, yeah. I knew about scuba diving. Wasn't interested. Snorkeling. Knew about shooting. No. Not so much. Swimming with the dolphins. Did it. It was fine. Yeah, but, but rope, rope making, making would have been great. Would have done that all day, every day. Yeah. <laughs> nope. <laughs> also, I want to point out, since you went back and found that passage, not yeah. Haldir. Not Haldir. That's correct. So, An elf from the boats. Right. Just wanted to point that out. Yeah. So Sam apparently can't tell one elf from another. <laughs> no, but we know that. <laughs> we're not surprised. Really. No, I know. We're not shocked. So he casts the rope to Frodo, and as he does, we see that the darkness seemed to lift from Frodo's yes, eyes. Yes, yes. This is amazing. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, it, it's pretty cool that the rope has a silver sheen. That's neat. Uh, yeah, no relation to Charlie's sheen. Just want to make that clear. <laughs> Thank goodness, no. <laughs> <laughs> Nor Emilio Estevez, for that matter. Emilio Sheen, as I call him, yes. Nobody has any idea who, who Emilio Estevez is at this point, I don't think. No, I don't think so. He yeah. should have left it as sheen, yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> wow, wow! Remember when he was the one? Like it was like yeah. he was in the Breakfast Club, and he was know, everywhere. And, yeah. yeah. Anyway, <laughs> but but not only is it no relation to the Sheen family, but silver. But it also seems to be dispelling the Nazgul's magia, doesn't it? Yes, it's actually dispelling this blindness effect. That is amazing. It really yeah. is. And the returning sight helps Frodo in so many ways, right? It helps him feel mm -hmm. more stable. It helps him feel less giddy, which is a, yeah. always a good thing. So let's talk a little bit about this, right? About, I think we need to. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Dispelling the Nazgul Magia. Yeah. So we know that the Nazgul has this power of blindness, right? It, it's somehow related to its its ringwraith powers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we know that elves don't really make anything magic, quote unquote. It's well, just, not that they would call magic, right? Right, exactly. It's just elvish rope, and that's how they make elvish rope. It's elvish. It just right. happens to be that elvish is what we would see as very magical. Right. And we'll talk about this a little bit more later on, but I think it's, I think it's really, really wonderful that we see it have this effect on the ring rate's power, that just something made by ordinary elves could actually have power over Sauron's greatest servants. That's pretty cool. It's pretty impressive. It is. Yeah. It really is. And having his sight come back, what either magically or not, is helping Frodo in, in a couple of other ways, right? It helps him feel more stable. He's got this point to fix his eyes on. And he's and he feels less giddy, which, yeah, you know, most of the time we want to feel a little less giddy. Yeah. <laughs> I guess yeah. when we're on a cliff and it's pouring rain and we're going to fall to our deaths. That's you definitely when you want to feel less giddy. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, blackout drunk, that's a whole other story. <laughs> You beat me to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's because I'm sober, Sean. All right. <laughs> I am sober now. I know you are. Right I, now I am. I can't promise right. anything like an hour from now. But no, I can't either. After we're done recording. For you, this. that is. Yeah. Yeah. So, of course, Frodo then secures the rope around his waist and Sam hauls him up because Sam does that kind of thing. Yeah, he does. But we're still in the midst of a heavy rain. There's lightning. There's thunder. Oh, yeah. And 
crawling back into the gully proves not to be of much help at all. They're not really getting much shelter here. Of course not. It's a gully. All the water from above is going to be Just channeling down, down into, into the it. gully. Right. This is the destination of all the nearby water. Right. And speaking of which, by the way, the word spate here, that actually refers to a sudden flood in a river. Okay. I didn't know that because it's not in uh, the English use in America, but that is an England English use of the word spate. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I'm glad you... I mean, I kind of figured that from context, but Well, yeah, yeah, the context, again, rills of water grew to a spate that splashed and fumed. So, yeah, Yeah. it's context, but yeah. Okay, great. So, Frodo actually says aloud, you know, he talks about the danger that he would have faced if Sam hadn't hauled him up by the rope. I mean, I would have been half drowned or washed clean off. Yeah, that storm was something, right? Yeah, it was. And Sam remembers some elf that he thought was out here (laughs) telling him, he he remembered the words. Yeah. He said, it may be a help in many needs. And he got that absolutely right. But as we observed earlier, he was wrong about it being a haldir. It's just red shirt elf in the boat. Yeah. Right, exactly. And Frodo wishes that he'd been as good at thinking ahead as Sam and wishes he'd taken some too. Yeah, I mean, if if the elf put three coils of rope in each boat that's nine coils of rope it might have been handy that was one rope for each member of the fellowship yeah well actually plus one because gandalf, gandalf wasn't, wasn't there part. yeah it's like the dinner rolls at the table they always yeah. if there are four people at the table they always bring five biscuits or five rolls don't they they do don't they yeah i actually asked them about that once they always do that because they don't want anybody to feel like they've taken the last one ah yeah, I actually asked a waiter about that once. Mike, That's really interesting. There are two of us here. Why do you keep bringing us three rolls? Right. I mean, bring us two or bring us four. Don't bring us three. That's not helpful. Right. But apparently that's the rule. They also probably love it when people fight over the last one. I bet they do. They just stand there on the side and laugh at us. Exactly. Anyway, I digress. It's what I do. It's what we do. So we are past, of course, the point where you stop the reading, talking about Frodo wishing that he had had the, uh, the foresight to bring some rope. But that's when Frodo then asks about, you know, how long is the rope? Because that could come in handy, right? Yeah. He's asking about this because the cliff is 18 fathoms. Now, that's, we've talked about that before. It's 108 feet, which is 33 meters. It's the height of a 10-story building. Right. So that's a long way. And Sam measures it out, right? The text says Sam paid it out slowly. In this sense, that word means to let out or slacken a rope. Right. And he finds that it's 30 L's. Yet another term we're not all familiar with, right, Sean? So how long is that? Well, Hammond and Skull tell us that an L is an old measure of length based on the length of the arm or forearm, Mm -hmm. and that the English L was 45 inches. Uh, Interestingly, the word comes from the Old English word eln, which means forearm, and it's actually related to the word elbow. Oh, that's interesting. I was thinking it was a little longer than K, a little shorter than M. (laughs) No. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know, though, that it was related to the word elbow. I thought that was interesting. Indeed. Well, Christopher Tolkien in The War of the Ring, which is the eighth volume of the history of Middle-earth, he observes that originally this was measured in hobbit L's, which Tolkien had said in a marginal note was two to two and a half feet. Now, that would make sense if it was based on the length of a hobbit arm, right? Right, because I mean, a hobbit arm would be shorter than exactly. uh, an English man's arm. Yeah, that's correct. But Tolkien actually went back to the English L of 45 inches, and that seems to be what he intended for the measure here. Yeah. Uh, And that's actually what Christopher says. This was the measure where Mm -hmm. the cliff was about 18 fathoms, 108 feet, as you said, and the rope about 30 L's, 112 and a half feet. Wow. Taking these figures as exact, there would be four and a half feet of rope to spare, which Christopher then points out is exactly what we find later 
there was still a good bite in Frodo's hands when Sam came to the bottom. Yep. And Frodo's surprised that the rope is that long. It just doesn't look that long as Sam is paying it out. But Sam right. points out, look, it's really thin, but it is tough and it's also soft. And because of that, it also packs really closely, too. So, right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. And Frodo seems to trust that enough to say, all right, let's give it a try yeah. as long as the storm passes. Well, yeah, we're not going to do this in the middle of the boring rain. I wouldn't. And then that's where you're going to pick up again just yeah. a few sentences later, Alan. That's right. The dark country and shimmering rope. I haven't got over that shriek on the wind yet, if you have. Like a black rider, it sounded. But one up in the air if they can fly. I'm thinking we'd best lay up in this crack till night's over. And I'm thinking that I won't spend a moment longer than I need. Stuck up on this edge with the eyes of the dark country looking over the marshes, said Frodo. With that, he stood up and went down to the bottom of the gully again. He looked out. Clear sky was growing in the east once more. The skirts of the storm were lifting, ragged and wet, and the main battle had passed to spread its great wings over the Amon Muil, upon which the dark thought of Sauron brooded for a while. Thence it turned smiting the Vale of Anduin with hail and lightning, and casting its shadow upon Minas Tirith with threat of war. Then, lowering in the mountains and gathering its great spires, it rolled on slowly over Gondor in the skirts of Rohan, until far away the riders on the plain saw its black towers moving behind the sun as they rode into the west. But here, over the desert and the reeking marshes, the deep blue sky of evening opened once more, and a few pallid stars appeared, like small white holes in the canopy above the crescent moon. It's good to be able to see again, said Frodo, breathing deep. Do you know, I thought for a bit that I had lost my sight. From the lightning, or something else worse, I could see nothing, nothing at all, until the gray rope came down. It seemed to shimmer somehow. And that's where I'll leave off. So yeah, Frodo's ready. He's like, we've got enough rope. Let's go yep. ahead. Let's do this. Sam's By not four and a half though. feet. And that's only if my estimate's correct. I right. Mean, I mean, really. Yeah. He's taking quite a bit on faith here, but you know. I, yeah. Margin of error is pretty slim. But I can appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sam's not too sure, though. He doesn't want Frodo doing anything risky here. And he's yeah. still pretty freaked out over the Nazgul shriek, which honestly, I can't say I blame him. And we know, of course, that it's a Nazgul. Sam does not yet know that. But it's a good point. Yeah. He does observe it sounds like a black rider if they can fly. Right. Which is another terrifying thought. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. They don't know that they can fly yet. They no. don't know that they're still around. They haven't no. seen them since the Ford of Bruinen. So, yeah. <laughs> Come on down to Ford of Bruinen. <laughs> that's right. But that's actually really cool that Sam is able to pick up on the similarity. He, he recognizes it, even yeah. though he doesn't know for sure. He has no reason to believe that it actually is a Nazgul. No, because as far as he knows, they certainly can't fly. Right. Yeah. And as far as he knows, they're gone. He hasn't right. seen them since they, they all were, got wiped out. They right. were wiped out in the Ford. Yeah. But he suggests that they wait until morning. Yeah, which is reasonable, one would yeah, think. Yeah, let's wait until we have some light. But Frodo, we saw this last time, he really yeah. doesn't want to wait any longer than he has to. No, he, he knows that not. the eyes of Mordor are looking this way. And I can't let that go without saying, the eyes of Mordor are upon you. <laughs> wow. Wow. You live in Texas. You, you have to... You have to do that. I wondered about that. You might need to explain that to 97% of our listeners. <laughs> and maybe 50% of our co-hosts. 
No, it's just I I live in Austin and it's it's UT's fight song. Oh, I'm not okay. even the University of Texas, right? Yeah, I I didn't even go there. I don't know anybody. Who's no, but you live in there. a college it's, town. It's just so. I'm living in a college town, and you know you you see the games, you hear the song. So so the eyes of Texas are upon you. I'm not even really a UT fan. I mean, I'm fine with them. I'll probably get some flack from that from our A and M fans in the audience, but you know whatever. Yeah. Anyway, moving along. Moving along, indeed. All right, <laughs> with my with my Texas regionalisms behind. Um, oh man, that's brilliant stuff. All right, so the eyes of Mordor are looking this way. You know, Sean, if we're going to talk about the eyes of Mordor, I think we need to ask: Are these eyes without a face? face oh man! Face? Oh wow! <laughs> wow! You probably need to explain that to anybody under the age of forty. Oh, wow. Come on, Billy Idol. I have to explain eyes without a face to somebody. I mean, to really? people under the age of 40, I think you might have to. All right. Fair enough. Billy Idol. Great musician. Done. Yeah. How much more can I say? Actually, the kids might know him because he was in an Adam Sandler movie. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Remember that? You're he was, right. in, he was uh, in first class in The Wedding Singer. He was in yeah. the front of the play. Yeah. yeah. That's probably what people Billy know. Billy Idol, man. From. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was awesome. Anyway. <laughs> All right, back to the text. I just had to undo the regionalism and at least give something that was perhaps more recognizable world round. Yeah, just, yeah. Unfortunately, mine's demographically tied <laughs> right. to, you know, people over 40. I'm geographically alienating people. You're generationally alienating people. I've always generationally alienated <laughs> folks, Sean. I can't help with that. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Poor Horatio. Poor Horatio. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've never seen a half a boy, Paul. Um, <laughs> all right. So he <laughs> goes to the bottom of the gully because he wants to get away from Sean Marchese, the real life Lord of the Park, <laughs> overlooking the drop from the Amon Muil. And he sees the changes in the weather and the turning of the storm. I love the description of the storm, by the way. Oh, the description oh. of the storm is great. And That's why I wanted to make sure that got read, because that is rich. Yeah. And I have to give you kudos, because you did correctly pronounce that word lowering. This time. I think the last time it appeared, I botched it. We did get in trouble. One of us got in trouble for it before. I don't remember which one. I but think it might have been me. Yeah, it's not lowering in the sense of getting lower. It's lowering, which means looking sullen. Uh, being dark or becoming dark, gloomy and threatening. Yeah. Yeah. Which is what I do, you know, on like Sunday afternoons. <laughs> or when someone corrects your pronunciation. Well, yeah, that, that goes without <laughs> saying. So speaking of the storm, in their reader's companion, Hammond and Skull point out something that Christopher Tolkien explained in The War of the Ring. They say, when this chapter was first written, Frodo saw the storm towards evening on the 1st of February, and the Battle of Helm's Deep took place on the night of the 1st and 2nd of February. Tolkien wrote in a contemporary time scheme, Night, February 1-2, Frodo and Sam meet Gollum. Storm that reached Helm's Deep about midnight on February 1-2 passed over Amon Muil earlier in the night. And that's the end of the quote from War of the Ring. Hammond and Skull go on to point out how the storm was originally intended to connect the stories of Frodo and Sam and the rest of the company. But then, as they point out, later changes and adjustments to the chronology, however, meant that Frodo witnessed the storm on the 29th of February, and the Battle of Helm's Deep took place on the night of the 3rd and 4th of March. Christopher Tolkien notes that his father altered the description of the storm only after the chapter was in proof, and now, they're quoting Christopher, giving the great storm a more widely curving path, 
and suggesting perhaps a reinforcement of its power and magnitude as it passed slowly over Ered Nimrise. That's pretty amazing. Isn't it? Again, I'm always blown away by Tolkien's attention to detail in the timeline and how many days does it take for this storm to pass and how much greater does it get? I mean, that's, wow, that's impressive. It's one of those things where you just are reminded there are virtually no accidents in The Lord of the Rings or in any of the Legendarium for that matter. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Now, I do have to point out, even though that original intended connection isn't quite there, we do still get some connection. Oh, yeah, yeah. As the the mention of the riders on the plane gives us That's here, right. right. Yeah. They so. saw this storm as well. And so there is a small mm-hmm. tie-in, right? Yeah. And then we get the mention of the evening sky and a, a few pallid stars. And I love that because yeah. we know that the stars are always uh, an en- oh. enduring symbol of hope in Middle Earth. Mm-hmm. They always are. And that's when Frodo, kind of recognizing how nice it is to see again, <laughs> starts yeah. to talk about his loss of sight. He seriously thought he'd been stricken blind, either from the lightning or ominously worse. Yeah. And then he talks about the shimmer of the elven rope. So again, in case we hadn't picked up on it, we we see that there's a connection between the rope and the fact that he's able to see again. Yeah. But yeah, that's but right. yeah the, this shimmer itself is really interesting, isn't it? It is. You know, Sam agrees. You know, yeah, in the dark, this does look a little silvery. He'd never noticed it before, probably because Sam never took it out of his pack. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's going to get in the way of noticing what it looks like. Never noticed it before because I never looked at it <laughs> before. Because I never pulled it out. a ninny hammer. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. But it does make sense that it would have a little bit of a silvery shimmer to it. Because remember, it's made from Hithline, which you said a little bit earlier. But if you remember back in book two, mm-hmm. we learned that the word Hithline actually means mist thread. So mist thread. Descriptive mm-hmm. of the way it appears. So, yeah, you can imagine that it has kind of a, a shimmery, silvery well, mist. Well, and that's look. the same stuff that the uh, the cloaks were made of. And they're also described as having that sort of a sheen. Right. That's right. Yeah. So now that Sam has finally noticed the silvery sheen, uh, again, no relation to Charlie or Emilio. Or, or Emilio. Uh, <laughs> it's time for you to read. And we're going to go ahead and prepare to descend. It's time, ladies and gentlemen, please put your trade tables in the upright position and time to prepare to descend. All right. But if you're so set on climbing, Mr. Frodo, how are you going to use it? 30 L's or say about 18 fathom. Well, that's no more than your guess at the height of the cliff. Frodo thought for a while. Make it fast to that stump, Sam, he said. Then I think you shall have your wish this time and go first. I'll lower you, and you need do no more than use your feet and hands to fend yourself off the rock. Though if you put your weight on some of the ledges and give me a rest, it will help. When you're down, I'll follow. I feel quite myself again now. Very well, said Sam heavily. If it must be, let's get it over. Yeah. Sam wants to know how Frodo is going to use this rope because really 30 L's versus 18 fathoms is awfully tight. There's no margin for error here. I mean, I'm sort of seeing Gimli holding his finger and thumb really close together. Certainty of death. You know, I mean, this is one of those moments where yeah, yeah the odds yeah. of success are slim. Yeah. 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 But Frodo has an idea. He, he instructs Sam mm-hmm. to secure the rope to a tree stump. Yeah. Now this isn't by the way, because Frodo likes to order Sam around. Uh, this is just because Frodo knows that Sam knows how to tie rope a lot better than he does. Right. Yeah. And he's going to continue to think that for a few more minutes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, you're right. Pretty soon he loses faith in that, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah. But then he explains how this is going to go. Okay, Sam, you wanted to go first before. Yeah. This time you actually are going to go first. And basically Sam's going to rappel down the cliff face. Right. Right. 
And, you know, maybe stopping on a ledge from time to time to give Frodo a little bit of a break while he's yeah. holding the other rope. And then Frodo will follow because there won't be anybody to hold the rope. So right. the more experienced person is going to go afterwards. Right. Yeah. Right. So Sam agrees to this. Mm-hmm. He goes ahead and made it fast, we're told, over the tree stump and around right. his waist. Right. And then reluctantly this time, he gets ready to descend. And now we've got another reading and it's back to you. It did not, however, turn out half as bad as he had expected. The rope seemed to give him confidence, though he shut his eyes more than once when he looked down between his feet. There was one awkward spot where there was no ledge and the wall was sheer and even undercut for a short space. There he slipped and swung out on the silver line. But Frodo lowered him slowly and steadily, and it was over at last. His chief fear had been that the rope length would give out while he was still high up, there was still a good bite in Frodo's hands when Sam came to the bottom and called up, I'm down. His voice came up clearly from below, but Frodo could not see him. His gray elven cloak had melded into the twilight. Frodo took rather more time to follow him. He had the rope about his waist, and it was fast above, and he had shortened it so that it would pull him up before he reached the ground. Still, he did not want to risk a fall, and he had not quite Sam's faith in this slender gray line. He found two places all the same where he had to trust wholly to it, smooth surfaces where there was no hold even for his strong hobbit fingers, and the ledges were far apart. But at last, he too was down. So, yeah, as you said at the very beginning of your reading, Sam's descent really isn't all that bad. He felt some confidence from the rope. Still a little bit afraid of heights because, you know, hobbit. But yeah, yeah, he does all right. And then there's this bit with the undercut, which... I don't know. Have you ever done any rock climbing? I never have, but I have not. I've I've seen it. You know, I've watched. There's a documentary yeah. on somebody climbing half dome, that kind of thing. Terrifying. That sounds terrifying to me. Like absolutely terrifying. The, yeah, the undercut you. where you've got like there's just no no place where you can hold on because you're actually gravity is going to be completely working against you there. Yeah, yeah. That sounds like something I never want to experience. Yeah, same. Sorry. I mean, I know we've. I'm sure we've got plenty of rock climbers out there. Ah, oh, it's not so bad. You just blah blah blah. Yeah, no. I'm sure, and uh, my hat is off to those people. I have oh, absolutely. Tremendous respect what a for tremendous you. skill. What a what yeah. an amazing talent. Yeah. But yeah. I'm, I've got. I don't think I have the the skill or much desire to do that. So yeah, Frodo does his job admirably, right? His job is to hold the rope while Sam, you know, repels down. And right. Frodo lowers him at the right pace and Sam gets safely at the bottom. And that's where we get the bit we talked about earlier about there still being a good bite in Frodo's hands. And mm-hmm. a bite's just a loop of rope. So maybe an L or two. I like using one antiquated term yeah. to describe yeah. another antiquated term. That's right. Uh, that's what Tolkien does. So we'll do it yeah, too. That we'll do it too. And I do want to explain that bite is from Old English bicht, which okay. means a, a bend or a curve. It's from the same base as bow. Okay, interesting. Mm-hmm. That's the same. Well, that's the same word, but a different meaning as the east bite. That's the big right. indentation in the eastern edge of Mirkwood that you see on the map. That's right. So Tolkien does use that word elsewhere. That's right. So Sam gets down to the bottom and he turns up to yell at Frodo. Of course, he can't see him. Right. Uh, it is, after all, the height of a 10-story building between them, and it's getting yeah. dark. And Frodo's wearing his elven cloak. Yeah. Right. Now, Frodo has to take a bit more time, right? He doesn't have the luxury of somebody letting him down slowly. So he's having to climb and the rope is essentially a safety tool, right? It's just there to make sure he doesn't die if he does fall. And so he's going down slowly, as you would in that circumstance. Well, yeah, as you would. As as you do, as one does, yeah. 
Absolutely. And with a little less confidence in the rope, because first thing he noticed about it is, man, it sure is skinny. It sure is a skinny piece of rope. Yeah. This is more like string than rope. Yeah. 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 But he but does get down. He yeah. does get down safely. Yeah. And congratulations, Frodo and Sam. You've escaped the Eben Muil. Achievement. There you go. Ding. XP awarded. Ding. Yep. Level up. Yep. We're going to put your points, Sam. He's going to put them in. Remembering what you put in your pack. <laughs> put them in intelligence. Skill. So yeah. he can level up from Ninny Hammer. <laughs> from Ninny Hammer to just Nincompoop. Or, right. or some other, you know, simpleton. Right. Simpleton. All right. Well, numbskull. Even though they have escaped the Amon <laughs> Muil, uh, we are not done with the chapter. I'm, I'm pleased to tell you, or with the episode, I should say, we're clearly not done with the chapter. Nope. Uh, and I'm going to have you read here from Sam's realization that well, there's an issue. Yep. And Sam is going to begin this as he should with this word: "Ninny hammers," he said. "Noodles, my beautiful rope. There it is, tied to a stump, and we're at the bottom." Just as nice a little stare for that slinking golem as we could leave. Better put up a signpost to say which way we've gone. I thought it seemed a bit too easy. If you can think of any way we could have both used the rope and yet brought it down with us, then you can pass on to me, Ninny Hammer, or any other name your gaffer gave you, said Frodo. Climb up and untie it, and let yourself down if you want to. Sam scratched his head. No, I can't think how, begging your pardon, he said. But I don't like leaving it, and that's a fact. He stroked the rope's end and shook it gently. It goes hard parting with anything I brought out of the elf country. Made by Galadriel herself, too, maybe. Galadriel, he murmured, nodding his head mournfully. He looked up and gave one last pull to the rope as if in farewell. Can I just say you really nailed that last little Galadriel? This oh, <laughs> sort you. of dreamy little way that Sam said it. I loved it. That was great. That's exactly how we would have done it. Thank you. Yeah. So at the beginning of the passage that you read, of course, now Sam realizes the predicament they're in. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Oops. The rope is up there and we're yep. down here. And of course, he uses ninny hammers again and adds noodles, which also means simpleton. <laughs> because why not? Because he's got such a broad vocabulary. Right. Uh, yeah. The gaffer yeah. taught him a lot of words for simpleton, apparently. <laughs> I know all the words for simpleton. I may not be a learned man. I may not know my letters, yeah. but I know every dang word that means simpleton. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, considering his dad named him simpleton. <laughs> Halfwit, right? Yeah. Because Samwise means halfwit. Right. Man. <laughs> gaffer not winning any father of the year awards in the <laughs> no, Shire. No, he's man. not. Man. <laughs> I didn't realize that until now, but you're absolutely right. Terrible. Yeah. Calls yeah. his son a half-wit, and then all, all his life calls him Calls him Ninny Hammer, Nincompoop, Numbskull, Noodles. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But. Oh, that's terrible. Poor Sam. Poor yeah. Sam. Yeah, yeah, And he's upset for a couple of reasons here, well, right? Right, I mean, right. Not only is he disappointed to leave his rope tied to the stump up there, which, right. I mean, come on, this is a nice rope. Could come in handy, yeah. Yeah, but he also very importantly realizes that this is a way Gollum can escape, too, and yeah. get to right where they are. That is a problem. But, you know, Frodo points out the obvious. Look, if there was a way for us to both get down and keep the rope, tell me what that what that is. And <laughs> right. you can call me every name in the book. <laughs> call me the Ninny Hammer then if I can't figure it out. And I you know, can. I love that. Yeah. 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 And there really was no other choice. There's no. nothing else they could have done. No. Frodo kind of starts to have a little fun with it. This is very hobbity, just like absurdly suggesting that 
solution and i'm making air quotes when i say that yeah sam climbing back up and untying the rope um that is not going to work no that will not work of course sam actually thinks about it for a second like well no no No, i can't think of any other way yeah but he still doesn't like leaving it right i mean you know frodo may be right we couldn't have done anything else but that doesn't mean i have to like it of course not he doesn't like leaving anything that he brought from lothlorien i don't what else did he bring from lorien i mean the rope and i guess the cloak but I guess the thing I'm thinking of here is the gift from Galadriel. Yeah. That we know he keeps with him all the way. That's right. So he really doesn't want to leave anything that he brought from Lorien. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And then we have this moment where he mournfully thinks about Galadriel, the fact that maybe it was her who made the rope herself. And uh-huh. just remembering her a little I'm bit of light. I'm touching the rope that Galadriel touched herself. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to wash my hands, master. <laughs> Good thing Gimli's not here. I know, Get a seriously. little jealous about this. You'd be wearing the rope. Yeah. <laughs> Let me just make this into some rope armor. <laughs> I kind of love that idea. That's cool. I know, cute. yeah. And then Sam reaches up and he pulls the rope one last time as That's if right. in farewell. And then, yeah. and then something awesome happens. Something really awesome happens. We actually continue the episode because for the longest time I had our episode ending right then and there because I love you guys and uh, I thought it'd be fun to to just leave it on a, a little cliffhanger. But just like last time, I decided to give you another paragraph or two so we can actually see what happens. And I'll pick that Let's up. Let's do it. Pick that up there. To the complete surprise of both the hobbits, it came loose. Sam fell over and the long gray coils slithered silently down on top of him. Frodo laughed. Who tied the rope, he said. A good thing it held as long as it did. To think that I trusted all my weight to your knot. Sam did not laugh. I may not be much good at climbing, Mr. Frodo, he said in injured tones, but I do know something about rope and about knots. It's in the family, as you might say. Why, my granddad and my Uncle Andy after him, him that was the gaffer's eldest brother, he had a rope walk over by Tyfield many a year. I put as fast a hitch over the stump as anyone could have done, in the shire or out of it. Then the rope must have broken. Frayed on the rockage, I expect, said Frodo. I bet it didn't, said Sam in an even more injured voice. He stooped and examined the ends. Nor it hasn't neither, not a strand. Then I'm afraid it must have been the knot, said Frodo. Sam shook his head and did not answer. He was passing the rope through his fingers thoughtfully. Have it your own way, Mr. Frodo, he said at last. But I think the rope came off itself when I called. He coiled it up and stowed it lovingly in his pack. It certainly came, said Frodo, and that's the chief thing. But now we've got to think of our next move. Night will be on us soon. How beautiful the stars are, and the moon. Well, they do cheer the heart, don't they? said Sam, looking up. Elvish they are somehow. Indeed they are. But let's get back to the beginning of that passage. It's a wonderful moment. Everybody knows this moment when startlingly... The rope comes loose, and Sam actually falls down, the rope coiling on top of him. <laughs> you can just see him now. He's eyes wide open, Yeah, in total surprise, Whoop. lying yeah. on the ground because he's mm-hmm. totally off balance, and the rope just, just falling on top of him, coiling on top of him. It's great. And Frodo laughs with what has to be a little gallows humor, I expect. I mean, I'm he, sure, yeah. He really realizes wow. he's awfully close to dying. Wow, we were really close to death just to now. I think That's I great. trusted you're not. Ah. And Sam is not laughing. Oh, no, he is <laughs> he, not taking this as a joke. No, no, no. He, he does not find the humor in this at all. And 
after all, this is an area where he really is an expert. Yeah, it's true. He may not be an expert at rappelling, but he knows something about rope and knots, doesn't he? That is true. His grandfather and his uncle, that's the gaffer's oldest brother, Andy, had a rope walk. Now, we talked about this a little in episode 164 on Lothlorien. And and Sean, I'm going to go ahead and have you cover that one more time. Sure thing. Yeah. So Appendix C, the family trees, tells us that Sam's uncle was Andwise Roper of Tyfield and was a rope maker. And here's the fun bit. Tolkien, in his nomenclature, says that Tyfield is intended to contain an old word for rope, surviving in some of the senses of modern English tie, the noun tie, in which the spelling is assimilated to that of the related verb tie. It was the site of a rope walk, or rope maker's yard, which Tolkien then goes on to explain is called a rope walk because, and I'm quoting here, the ropes were stretched out in long lines over trestles at intervals. That's right. And I remember we talked about that at length back, at the, back in that episode. Mm-hmm. So Sam is serious about this, like you said, and he explains that when he tied a hitch over the stump, it was as secure as any knot that anybody could have tied. Now, I don't know if he used a, a half hitch or a cow hitch or a timber hitch, though I, I have to say the last would make the most sense. But whatever knot he used, it was stable. It was fast. Well, I'm just going to have to trust you on that because okay. I don't know my knots or my hitches mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah, well, um, yeah, I, I, I do. <laughs> well, I'm glad so, you do. <laughs> so we'll, uh, we'll just move All right, on. Right well, let's here. move on then. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So Frodo draws a logical conclusion. Well, okay. Right. If the knot, if the knot didn't come undone, then it must've broken. Yeah. Maybe it frayed on the rock. And somehow that makes Sam even more offended. I was wondering about that. I think he's, he's more hurt because that implies not only that he doesn't know his knots, but the elves don't know their rope. That's right. How dare you? He's more offended on behalf of the elves. How dare you talk bad about Galadriel's rope? That's right. I think that's where that's coming from. Yeah. 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 So he then, disagrees course, vehemently. And then oh, he finds vehemently. out. And then he goes to find out. And sure enough, no, it is not frayed. And Frodo returns with logic. Well, if it didn't break, then it must have been the knot. And I just can't help but think when you have eliminated all which is impossible, then whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. Oh, yeah. So, you know, little, little Sherlock, Sherlock Holmes, Holmes. or yeah, yeah. yeah, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle for you. But yeah. Yeah. But we haven't eliminated all that's possible because remember. I guess that's true, is it? Yeah. Yeah. No, Sam thinks it came when it was called. Mm. Is that even possible? I, you know, Maybe. that's the thing. It was made by elves. And so it is elvish rope. Real elvish rope. That's the thing. You know, we talk about elves not making things that are quote unquote magic, but they really do. Uh, mm-hmm. They just don't think of it that way. And right. you remember what we read about elvish robes? We put the thought of all that we love into all that we make. Right? Right. I mean, we thought that's like the perfect tagline for a clothing company. Somebody ought to do that. But <laughs> that's right. You know, um, the rope is the same thing. So yeah. they put the thought of all that they love into all that they make. And yeah. Galadriel, whether she made it or not, certainly their love for Galadriel is in mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Uh, and we will see very clearly in a couple of episodes time later in this chapter this rope is so elvish that it causes Gollum great pain. That's right. That's a Magically really good point. It causes it him great pain. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So it's not like they have to say, I'm going to make a magic rope today. They don't have no. to make a rope and then put a spell on it or something no. like that. They just make a rope and that's what happens. It, it is elvish. And so it has this inherent magia. Exactly. So, yeah, I think it really is possible that yeah. this rope just came when it was called because it's real elvish rope. As the movie says. 
So yeah, now Frodo, I think, honestly doesn't care how it came. Did it come because it broke? Did it come because the knot was untied? Did it come because it heard Galadriel's name and said, oh, I'll come now, sure. No, he doesn't care. <laughs> doesn't just, matter. We got the rope. Here. That's what matters. Let's pack it yeah. up. Gollum's not going to be able to use it, so that's a good thing, yeah. Move along. Nothing right. to see here. And that's exactly what he does. Mm -hmm. And he observes that we need to think of our next move because oh, yeah. it will be night soon. Mm-hmm. And he points out the beauty of the stars and moon. Oh, I love, love that. that. Absolutely love that. Mm -hmm. Sam, in this lovely moment, says that not only do these things cheer the heart, the stars and the moon, but that they're elvish somehow. And we've talked yeah. about that, haven't we? The stars yeah. are always reminding us of the elves. Absolutely. They are the Eldar, the people of the stars. The people of the stars. They're a symbol of hope, as we talked about earlier in this episode, and they're definitely a symbol of the elves. And that's right. And here they give us a little bit of recovery, escape, and consolation. You know, a little bit of a little bit of fairy in this mm, really awful place. Bleak place, yeah. 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 And then Sam also mentions the moon is growing. Mm -hmm. Now, let's remember this is the night of the 29th going into right. the 30th of February. Mm-hmm. And we know from the timeline we discussed back in book three that it's only at its first quarter. It's actually right. going to be a full moon on the night of the 7th and 8th of March. Right. And Frodo thinks it would be best to wait to try the marshes until there's more light. I can't blame him. It's funny. He didn't want to stay up on the Amon Mewil until there was more light. But he's wise but to he wait to try the marshes. Yeah. 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 This is a relatively safe place, stable place. So let's stay he here. feels less visible, I think. Yeah, less I think exposed. You're right. yeah. yeah, I think you're right. So speaking of crossing the marshes by the light of a half moon, I don't think we should do that or open Barlaman's bag by the light of a half moon either. But I don't think we have a choice tonight, do we, Sean? No, we have to do it. All right. Fair enough. I'll start. David, I'm sorry, we didn't catch where you're from, David. But David asks, way back in the shadow of the past, what are your thoughts on Frodo going to destroy the ring? But then it ends up back in his nasty pocketses. If he could not destroy the ring by throwing it on his hearth with Gandalf standing with him, what makes him think he could do it alone, standing in Mount Doom? Hmm. David says this is, of course, before he knows that Sam is going with him. So presumably he's going to have some help. But yeah, yeah. so I guess the question is ultimately, what makes Frodo think that he's going to be able to destroy the ring later if he couldn't do it there in his home? Alan? Well, in, in fairness to both Gandalf and Frodo, that conversation in Bag End wasn't about destroying the ring. It, it really only went as far as Frodo promising to take the ring out of Bag End. That's uh, true. It wasn't a commitment to destroy it. Uh, at, at the time, he says, I cannot keep the ring and stay here. I ought to leave Bag End, leave the Shire, leave everything and go away. And when he asks Gandalf later where he should head, Gandalf tells him, towards danger, but not too rashly and not too straight. If you want my advice, make for Rivendell. That's, that's right. So that's really all he planned on doing. Yeah, he was just trying to get out of the Shire. Yeah, and yeah. he even tells Gildor of his plans when the hobbits run into the elves and mm. enjoy that meal in the woody end. That's he right. says, my plan was to leave the Shire secretly and make my way to Rivendell. Gildor responds by saying, yeah, that sounds good. You should still yeah, follow good that plan. plan. You should do that, right. It's, it's nothing at this point about trying to destroy the ring. Yeah. Frodo doesn't make the decision to destroy the ring or at least attempt to destroy the ring until the very end of the Council of Elrond. There, that's that, that big dramatic yeah, moment. When nobody else wants to step up. Right, exactly, yeah. exactly. And of course, at that point, Elrond ensures that he's not going by himself, right? It's not just Sam. In fact, Sam's you know, one of the last ones to be decided to go with him. Elrond ensures that there are others to go with him to help on his quest, so. Yeah, so the idea was not for him to try and destroy it alone, just to try no. and get out of the Shire alone. 
it was his job to take it there mm -hmm. and they were all to help him on that on that journey but whatever yeah. it took yeah and by that point of course he's got more i don't know more determination more courage mm -hmm. uh he's already yeah. faced the temptations he's already faced death i mean really he's been stabbed by a nazgul <laughs> right yeah yeah he's, he's ready yeah yeah so yeah I, I think that's absolutely right and i think that's why others were sent with him to support him on that quest to get him there yeah but probably also nobody likes thinking about this but probably to make sure that he could do what needed to be done when he finally got there that's right and elrond knows that better than anybody really how hard it's going to be once he gets there i remember so, three thousand years ago that's right isildur yeah yep well that was a good one thank you was. very much for that one david we have time for one more don't we alan I think we do, Sean. Nathaniel G. in Virginia asks another question that brings us back to the shadow of the past and Frodo's unwillingness to destroy the ring. He says that after Gandalf challenges Frodo to try to destroy the ring, Frodo is unwilling to toss it into the fire in his home. Instead, he exclaims, I do really wish to destroy it, or well, to have it destroyed. That is, destroyed by somebody else. So Nathaniel says, am I reading too much into this? Or do you think that this scene is meant to foreshadow events in Mount Doom? There, Frodo is also unwilling to toss the ring into the fire, this time into Orodruin. Until that moment, Frodo really did wish to destroy it. Instead, though, he had to have it destroyed. That is, destroyed by someone else. Hmm. Sean. Interesting. So both questions are about Frodo's inability to destroy the ring, both at home and then later at Mount Doom. Correct. But David's question is more about what makes Frodo think he'll be able to do it. Nathaniel's question is more about does Frodo secretly all along hope that somebody else will be able to do it for him? That's interesting. And I think like we talked about in answering David's question a minute ago, Frodo wasn't initially committed to the idea of destroying the ring himself. He just wanted no. to get it out of the Shire so that the Shire could be kept safe. That's right. So, yeah, I think certainly early on, he really would have preferred to have it destroyed. Mm-hmm. As for foreshadowing, I mean, I guess we can only speculate. I'm sure yeah. Tolkien probably was trying to hint at something, and, and Verlin mm -hmm. Flieger certainly seems to think so as well. I, I seem yeah. to remember, wasn't it when she was on our show, she said Tolkien tells us at the very beginning that Frodo's not going to be able to do it. That's right. And this really is that moment when, when we yeah. see like, oh, wait, Frodo can't destroy the ring at home. How no. is he ever going to do it later on? That's correct. But still, it's pretty clear that Frodo, or, well, just about everybody for that matter, would like to see the ring destroyed, but by sure. someone else, right? Because, hey, you know, Volcano, Sauron, Wraiths on Wings, right? It's uh, not a resort. It's not something no, anybody really no. wants to do. Yeah, I don't want to do it myself, but I wouldn't mind if it was done, you know? Yeah. But Frodo is the one willing to take the responsibility onto himself to destroy the ring. Yeah. Look at that moment in the Council of Elrond. As far as Frodo is concerned, he is going to be the one to destroy it. Nobody else stepped up except for Bilbo, of course. And we've talked about that. You know, everybody's know like, that's uh, sit down, yeah. Bilbo. You're too old to do this. Yeah. Frodo at that point in the Council of Elrond is no longer looking for someone else to destroy it for him like he was in the Shadow of the Past. True. Now, here's the thing, and this is kind of semantic. It turns out Frodo is unable to destroy it. And the story then turns on Gollum's unexpected role. But it was never Frodo himself being unwilling until yeah. maybe that very last moment. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I agree. I, I'd go so far as to say that, okay, he wasn't fully committed to being the one to do it at the moment he left the Shire. No, Agreed. no. He like, was just going to go to Rivendell with it. Right? Yeah. 
when he left, he wasn't committed to doing it. But by the time of the Council of Elrond, as you said, Alan, that's when he steps yeah. up to be the ring bearer. He is mm-hmm. fully committed at that point. That's he's right. found his courage, his determination. Like you said, he's been stabbed. He's he's made it this far. Yeah. yeah. Whatever it is that he finds within himself, he finds it and he commits. Mm-hmm. And it's that commitment that we see spur him to do what he has to do at Parth Gallen and here in the Aemon Muil and later and later still. Yeah. And yeah, when he gets to the cracks of doom at that point, he is unwilling, but he's also not really in full control of himself at that no, point. No, he's not. And Tolkien himself explains that in his letters quite well. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So I think if you were to plot Frodo's willingness to destroy the ring on a line graph, you'd see it at- Which only we would do. Which only <laughs> we would do. And obviously I've been hanging around you too much because that sounds like something that you would do. That does sound like I would do. I'd create a spreadsheet or something. Yeah. yeah. You'd see it at zero or close to zero when he leaves the Shire. Yeah. And you'd see it at zero or maybe negative when he's at the cracks of doom later <laughs> That's on. That's true. Yeah. But for much of his journey from the Council of Elrond to some point in Mordor, probably right until that last moment, you'd see it in the positive. Oh, absolutely. He, yeah. he absolutely is willing to do it. He absolutely is committed to doing it for most yeah. of that journey. Yeah. It's just that he couldn't do it himself in the end. Right. And yes, he had doubts that were unrelated at the beginning, but that doesn't mm-hmm. mean that he wasn't fully committed for a very significant stretch of the quest, including where we see him right here. That's right. Absolutely. Well, folks, that wraps it up for another episode of the Prancing Pony podcast. But please be sure to join us again next week when we try the new and exciting board game, Snakes and Adders. Oh, I love that game. It's one of my favorites. No, Adders. No, actually, it sounds pretty depressing. It does, actually. actually. Snakes and more snakes. (laughs) Snakes and Adders. And now I'm hearing Indiana Jones. Why did it have to be snakes? Why did it have to be snakes? Well, folks, we want to take a moment to thank the team that helps make this show better. That's our research assistants and our barlaman, Becca Davis, our producer, Jordan Rennells, social media manager, Casey Hilsey, event and Patreon community coordinator, Katie McKenna, and website guru, Phil Dean. And speaking of the website, please be sure to give it a visit over at theprancingponypodcast.com. We've got our show notes there, some hilarious outtakes, not all the best ones, sadly, I I just have to tell you that, but... uh, (laughs) There are some that we can never let any of you hear. Uh, But we also have our Prancing Pony Ponderings and our online storefront where you can get all sorts of PPP merch. And you're definitely going to want to check out our library page. You know we love the books here at the Prancing Pony Podcast, and we've provided links for you to get nearly every book we mention on the show. Now, we do get a few pennies from the purchases you make there, so thank you. Thank you indeed. We also want to thank some more really important people, our patrons at the Kierdance Contribution tier. I'm going to start with the May in Alaska. James in Virginia, Tamson in Minnesota, Chad in Texas, Lance in New Jersey, Paul in Colorado, Jerry in Texas, Bruce in California, Mario in Utah, Seth in Texas, B in California, Joseph in Texas, and Kathy from North Carolina. And then we have Lori from Washington, Josh in Oklahoma, Carlos in California, Brian from the UK, Ned from Connecticut, Jerry from Washington, Ryan from Alaska, Joe in Washington, Erwin from the Netherlands, Hal from Washington, D.C., June in Ireland, Lucas in Germany, and Ryan in Illinois. Thank you all so very much for your support. And folks, please be sure you don't miss any episodes of the Prancing Pony podcast. Subscribe to the show through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. And one last thing as always, don't forget to send your thoughts, comments, and most of all, your Elvish rope. I mean, you knew that was coming, right? Of course. Yeah, we all did. It's <laughs> a barlament at the prancingponypodcast.com. And if you want a chance to have your actual voice heard on the show, 
you can send us audio of you asking us your question by visiting podinbox.com slash prancingponypod and record your question for us. Just please be sure to still send the question to Barlaman as well. Mm-hmm. Now, Barlaman's a lot more reliable lately, but we do get a lot of mail. So we'll get to you as soon as we can, and your question or comment may be featured on a future episode. As always, folks, this has been far too short a time to spend among such excellent and admirable listeners. But until next time, farewell, friends. <laughs>